शक्ति दे बलि चढ़ाओ तेरे आगे Welcome to the Trash Cats Trashcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Steven. Today we're going to discuss the mysterious blood cult of the Thuggies and the true origins of Thug Life. Thug Life episode, dude. That's right, dog. Uh, first, how was your week? Uh, my week's been okay. Um, I feel like I've had a lot of random, kind of not great stuff going, but uh, I'm like super focused, doing all right in school, doing... Lots of art and pod shit, so I'm I'm good. How about you, man? I'm doing okay. Um, stress has been a little high, but uh, I'm I'm you know navigating it. Uh, trying to remind myself that uh, the limitations that I put on myself are only that's uh, exactly that things that I put on myself, and I don't need to do that. So, man, it's, it, uh, it feels good when. When you do have those realizations and are able to just let the fuck go, some shit. That's it? you know when you're like sitting in bed and you're trying to go to sleep and it's like you remember something like fuck I gotta do this this week I gotta make sure I get that done and it's like I can't I'm not gonna do it right now I can do it in the morning <laughs> I go to sleep right now I'll have a better job doing it tomorrow so don't think about it right now because it's not important I'm not gonna get up and do it right so. Yeah. I love that feeling of uh, crossing shit off my to-do list that I know I'm not going to do. Instead of like keeping it on there all day, like on a day I know I'm not going to do it, I'm like just crossing it off. Fuck it. Yep, fuck it. Yep. I set my expectations too high. It's okay. <laughs> we'll try yep. again next week. Exactly. Um, you got any honorable mentions for us? I don't this week. All right, cool. Um, I was going to start with... Uh, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people have seen all the executive orders Biden passed, man. Um, yeah. Some really good shit. I'm sure there were some bad things in some of it, but there's shit about COVID, uh, LGBTQ, uh, ending the Muslim ban. And then uh, the one I was super excited about, uh, President Joe Biden on Tuesday signed an executive order that will phase out Department of Justice use of private fucking prisons. That's fucking amazing. It's so nice. Fucking huge. All those other things are equally as important too, but I just was really caught off guard by the private prison shit because that's, that's been such a fucking problem. It's it's, very... I, I remember when I first found out about that even being an issue, and I was like, how how right? is that even a thing? Like, how is that even possible? Dude, honest, like... As a kid, that was my exact same reaction, too. And I fucking learned about it through System of the Down songs. You oh, know what really? I mean? That's what made me, like, look into that shit, which I think is so fucking rad of them. But, like, learning that as a kid, it was like, how the fuck could a prison be for profit? Like, right. Uh, it's just fucking nuts. <clears throat> so, I, I don't know. Uh, this week, a lot of undoing of the last four years of bullshit. So, I think that was cool. Um, and then, so I got two more, this mm -hmm. second honorable mention, um, as a side note, the ACLU, uh, the former head of the ACLU was on, uh, his name is Ira Glazer was on Rogan this week and, uh, talking about freedom of speech and it, it, 
a very inspirational human being. And the reason I bring that up is the second honorable mention is about an album cover and freedom of speech issues. So I'm going to send you this cover real quick. So this band, they're a um, punk, punkish metal band. Um, I would kind of like put them under punk thrash. Sorry, this is being real goofy. Let me send mm-hmm. it to you. I hear, hear them clicks. It's oh, so frustrating. Um, sorry, I'm going to send you the link instead. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay, so a Tennessee man. This is an article from fucking Boing Boing. A Tennessee man presumably disenchanted with local and fault law enforcement posted the above image on social media and this photo is one of their album covers their band is called the last right um the image shows two people urinating on a headstone crudely edited to include a portrait of sergeant daniel baker a dixon county cop who was killed in the line of duty in 2018 um they put this photo on their 2009 album released by the band called the rights so, regardless of what you think of what they're doing, like, this is their art, this is their fucking album cover. But the police believe that this Photoshop photo was real, and using the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, they went after these two musicians. Wow. And they were told they weren't allowed to... Um, so, but the the cops tracked him down and charged him with harassment over a photoshopped album cover for desecrating a grave digitally, and he's held on seventy six thousand dollar bail in a Dixon County Jail bond. Sorry, um, it's it's just so fucking crazy. The his lawyer is just like ready to fucking go. Like they're so fucking pissed. Like. Regardless of what you think of what they're doing, I mean, it, it, it's like, is it fucked up? Yeah. Is it metal? Absolutely. Absolutely. But what's, it's just crazy that there's, like, that they can, like, there's proof. There's, there's evidence that it's, that, you know, it's not the grave of this cop. Right. Even if it fucking was, I think it's bullshit for them to go after him. But especially, like, it it can't be a crime if it didn't fucking happen. Right, like, exactly. And that's what they're using our fucking money and resources to go after two fucking punk dudes for an album cover. Right. That's, uh, that's your tax dollars at work, y'all. Defund the police. Fucking garbage. Yeah, man. I wanted to find, like, a way to support these dudes, but it's been kind of hard to find out information so if we find something we'll we'll definitely share it um it's fucked um so third honorable mention i think i showed you this dude before this is my homie uh he's a rapper from florida chaotic steel um i've actually done some of his album art in the past and uh this you know he does a bunch of really cool shit uh very lyrical writer He's got a little bit of a strange music uh, sound, but he's he's like real underground. It's not like the poppy, flashy shit. Um, 
So specifically, I'm sharing this song, Dungeon, and I believe this is off the album Poison, which I did an album cover for. And uh, this dude's just really fucking cool, man. What did you think of that video? I mean, uh, the song. song. I I thought it was dope. Um, Definitely, I thought the bass kicked ass. Um, I wasn't expecting that. Um, It it was well-produced. Yeah, um, for you know, if he's not you know like doing, if he's not like you know mainstream or whatever, he's got good quality shit. Yeah, he's got his own like, I believe it's his own independent label, Wicked Noise, and I think his dude, I don't want to say the wrong name, but one of his buddies is his producer, and uh, you know that he does it all himself. It's just you know him doing it, writing, making shit, and. Uh, very lyrical and he has some like some of it has a trappish sound but it's way deeper than any radio shit like that video uh, or that song dungeon it it's like feels like bullets coming out like just he's just spitting and like i the first time i heard it i pictured like the dungeon hallway like in dark covered in like sparkling glass and just like a dude meditating floating through the dungeon tunnel like it's it's a heavy one um yeah, yeah. fucking dope track I, I, i'm gonna be listening to more chaotic steals in the in the next couple of days for sure at least fuck yeah and we'll, we'll be sharing all this info he's on instagram uh some on youtube and spotify for sure so uh i think that that about does it for me for honorable mentions. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, we did a lot of research for this episode. I'm really excited to get into this one. Thug life. Yeah, yeah. Thug life all day. <laughs> um, should I start us off? Yeah, man. Tell me. Uh, uh, let's, let's get into it. Cool. So, kick this off by asking you, when's the last time you watched Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Never. No, I've seen. I've, I, I haven't seen it all the way through <laughs> in one in one sitting. I've seen uh, bits and pieces throughout my life. Um, really? Yeah. As with all Indiana Jones movies, actually, um, never watched them all the way through. And it was just a. It wasn't like a choice thing. It just never came up. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I. I'm. Like I think they're fun movies, um, but they're not good films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can I can gather that. Yeah. So in the Temple of Doom, you remember when they're chanting the Kalima, Kalima, and he rips yeah, out yeah. the beating heart. So those dudes are the thuggies, and it is a very ignorant depiction of the thuggy cult. Mm-hmm. Of which we are going to discuss today, um, and we're going to hopefully do a little bit more accurate of a job than they did. But that was the thuggies in Indiana Jones. So by the end of this episode, we're going to learn all about them and why this so-called cult of assassins, um, why they existed and how they altered history so radically that we still worship and use their name today. Like... It's so crazy, like, thug life came from the thuggies. Yeah, it's just like a cult in India, and it's, I, I think we'd have to really fuck up real hard to get a uh, a depiction of them as ignorant as uh, in the movie. It's very, 
It's, I mean, it, it's a, a very whitewashed version of like, you know, like they do it in movies today. Like anytime they, you know, they want to show that they're in like Mexico, they have like an orange filter over their shit or like same with like in the Middle East, like everything's, you know, uh, very, you know, light sand colored and shit. Right. And it's like, okay, it doesn't, you don't have to, you know, that's not what it looks, you know, the, the, the light's not a different color over there. <laughs> the air isn't that different, you know, you know, we're just, you can... You can just I, leave it. A lot of times I really hate that uh, blue-green light shit color correction they do on movies to, like, make things look gritty, and it's, like, it, it normally looks really bad, too. Real quick, can I bring up a quick side note? Yeah. So, have you heard of the movie Green Inferno? I have not. All right, so I, fr- I, I should know the name of this director because he's a very uh, prolific horror director. But this dude did this movie, Green Inferno, and it's about plane crash, and they land on a uh, cannibal island in South America. Oh, I've actually, I've seen this movie. It's uh, Eli Roth. Yes, Eli Roth. So that movie, I don't know if, did you know this while they were watching? That's a real tribe. I did not know that. That is a real tribe that it had... I don't know if the cannibalism part is true, but it's a previously uncontacted tribe. That That's wild. We knew existed. There's a couple of them in the world, particularly South America, and there's a couple of them. And dude was able to make a connection with them to shoot this movie. And the movie portrays them as savages, cannibals, and they tear apart these American students or whatever. Um, and despite whatever you think of the movie... It's really fucking cool because it looks so authentic and brutal and beautiful. Like these people have just uh, a beautiful aesthetic. But what's fucked up is a lot of the proceeds of the movie were supposed to go to help these people. And it turns out a lot of the money didn't make it to them. And this tribe has been fucked up to this day because they, they they were on contact. They hadn't seen like even cameras and shit like that to the extent of like, like it just sent their world crashing down. You know yeah. what I mean? Imagine someone comes from, you know, 2000 years in the future and, and you know, were to show us things and show us what they're, you know, something from their culture and shit. Like it would, it would change everything in the way that we act. Right. Yeah. And I, I think it's so terrible, but it's very, it's an interesting problem. Um, yeah and it, it you don't get to see that on film very often sorry i just i thought that was yeah no that's super fucking cool that they were able to do that too uh, right they, they, you know, they were able to you know get a like the connection i mean you know to, to to do that and you know hopefully they treated it with as much caution as they possibly could but yeah and it sucks that money didn't get to them i don't know i mean yeah. i'm sure there's politics and all of that i i don't think know, they did it about responsibly but the idea of it is so interesting yeah yeah um so i'm going to start off i, I want to read a, a brief passage from the intro of one of the research books um you found uh it's titled yeah. history of the thugs or fans fan cigars i fan knew cigars. i, I was so have- confident <laughs> i was so confident i wasn't gonna fuck that up and then I, that was the first one i fuck up <laughs> history of the thugs or fan cigars so um, Real quick, this book was written by someone else, but it includes largely the accounts of this dude, uh, Sleeman, who we're going to be talking about. 
young Sleeman. Um, so the, we, we'd also wanted to jump off right off the top and say like, there's a lot of this account information that's, um, you know, uh, questionable and it's, you know, different yeah. by a lot of different accounts. So this was us boiling down what we could to get the, what could be the, the closest picture of, um, right. what's described. Yeah. So take, take with the grain of salt. So, uh, this quote, um, this is the account of the thugs, their particular superstitions, and their methods for proceeding to rob and murder travelers. For a period of two, excuse me, for a period of two hundred years in India, there existed a secret association of assassins bound together by superstition that pursued robbery and murder as a regular means of substance. By a process of early education and gradual training, its members consider murder and robbery not as crimes, but rather uh, as a religious. Um, uh, uh, association. Uh, not one in a hundred of them have been caught or brought into uh, answer any of their for any of their human tribunal for his atrocious crimes, um, which is different than what we found in other places. Um, that Even- some of them, you know, that like they didn't answer for their crimes, but there's a lot of other things that say that they did. Yeah, even um, in the so that's the intro of this book, and even in the book, it co- gets contradicted. So it, it it's hard to know what exactly is the truth, but we we do know some things, and some things are a little confusing. Yeah. So um, now we do want to point out the history of the thugs book. Um, we're going to reference back to that. So. Uh, like I said, it was published. It was written by somebody else, but it largely includes authentic documents published by W. H. Sleeman, and he was the superintendent of the Thug Police, which is a pretty cool right. title. Thug Police boy. <laughs> yeah, but it thug definitely. Cop. Yeah, it definitely speaks to his bias or attempt to control the narrative, which is something we're going to explore later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, just to clarify, the word fan cigars and thugs or thuggy are used interchangeably. Uh, the fan cigars or stranglers are thus designated uh, from the Hindu word fancy, meaning noose. Uh, in the more northern parts of India, these murderers are called thugs. Yeah, so buddy. it's just different dialects and, and whatnot. Yeah, the word, uh, the English word thug traces its roots to the Hindi word thog which means swindler or deceiver. So thuggy became a verb for the swindling or deceiving. Um, and it it also came to describe the deception, the murder and robbery of the travelers, which is a uh, which was popular in the northern parts of the Indian subcontinent subcontinent and particularly India. So uh, it's they were said to have traveled in groups across the Indian subcontinent. Uh, they were there were nu- numerous traditions about their origin, um, the uh, that brought to their origin. Um, one uh, account traced it to some Muslim tribes that formed from uh, after they fled Delhi after murdering a physician who cured a royal elephant, um, <laughs> which is that's a buckwild story in itself. Like they, the- they, they, they. It's like that's a a political thing you know that happened yeah there's more to those stories but i i didn't exactly know how to piece it together but 
apparently that physician is like important in Muslim history and some of these origin stories like tied into the formation of the great Muslim tribes. So, yeah. Um, the, the, another one, uh, trace it back to, um, some great Muslim families who fled after murdering a favored slave of Akbar. Um, not, there's not one theory that's confirmed. Right. Um, part of the reason the history of the thugs is so mysterious and difficult to understand is because it was intended to be hidden from outsiders. Um, they often changed location and assumed other names. The Europeans didn't even discover the thugs till 1799, uh, when it is said that anywhere from 100 to 1,000, depending on which story you're looking at, of them were apprehended with a vast amount of treasure in the vicinity of Bangladesh. I would also like to point out that this is like the first big contradiction of the book. Like the intro is like they never answered for any of their crimes. And then like two pages later, like they start the origins of the thuggy by saying we discovered them when we arrested a hundred to a thousand of them. So it's like there's definitely some major bias on, on the people who told the history. So yeah. Their that, earliest known, they, they got that in there real quick. Yeah, yeah. So, but what's really interesting is like we don't know how long they they operated. Like the earliest known reference of the thugs, um, they were essentially described as a band or a fraternity rather than thieves. But they were written about as early as 1356. Yeah, that's fucking wild. It's like, yeah, I like to try to. I started doing this more more lately, especially from watching shows like Vikings and stuff like that, where it's like looking at what was happening there in that particular time, but like what else was happening in the world. Like like um, when you say, you know, when you talk about like American history and certain things that were like uh, like happening over here and it seems like such a long time ago. And then you realize like, oh, there were still like kingdom, you know, or it wasn't that long ago. You look and it's like, oh, there were like kingdoms still in, in <laughs> England and shit. Like it was it's like fucking, you know, it seems like it was certain things were so long ago or, you know, if they weren't that far. But like you can you can't really place them all together unless you consider the rest of the world. But right. Um, and it's so, it's just so wild, like that they could potentially have had been around that long. Like, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that alone puts them at, you know, at least 300 years, um, which is, that's, yeah, that's just fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, so the members often consisted of families and tribes. Uh, sometimes the tribes would work together or on their own, um, it, so it can be hard to determine how connected they were with each other. Uh, a lot of groups were, like, independent cells, um, and, I mean, you see that with, you know, even gangs. Like that's like a gang yeah. thing today is like you can, you know, there's not just, it's not just all bloods. It's like, there's different sex within, you know, bloods and shit like that. Like that's a, a thing. Yeah. Um, they're largely considered to be a Hindu organization because they're thought of as always worshiping the goddess Kali. Kali? Is it Kali? Um, I was going to say Kali. See, I never know which one, but uh, they're thought to, have always worshipped Kali, but that's not always true. But they were largely Hindu. But it is estimated that up to one thirds of one third of the thuggies were Muslim as well. So despite their differences, or if they're operating 
um, in groups or separately or independently, they were all thuggy, and that's really important. Yeah. Um, they they basically operated as like highway bandits. Um, they would travel major roads in and out of cities searching for loot. Uh, it seems like they were primarily land-based. There were also groups of river thuggy, um, <laughs> which is a that's that makes me think of like some uh, some Alabama boy shit, right? Uh, some good old fucking swamp water boy shit. Um, while they uh, while they didn't often travel, they instead would make take like one or two big excursions every year. Uh, the victims were almost exclusively travelers whom they would like fall in with on the road. Um, they would, uh, each gang had a, a leader who directed their movements, um, of, a numerous gangs. Some of them, uh, some usually remained at home while the rest are engaged in the work of the pillage and the murder. Um, older members would often act as spies and support. Um, so like it was a whole fucking group group effort. It's um, a like a network, a lifestyle, like this is how they survived. Right. Um, those that are abroad are often divided into separate parties of like 10 or 15 people. Uh, they either follow each other at some distance or the parties would take different routes. Uh, they rendezvous at a certain place in advance. Uh, different gangs sometimes act in, uh, uh, act together, uh, occasionally apprising one another by approaching travelers whose destruction provides a rich, you know, booty, um, <laughs> rich booty, that rich booty boy. <laughs> Oh, that's my other rap name now is Rich Booty Boy. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Um, that's going to be for the Sensual albums. Uh, so as like independent and sometimes as chaotic as they would seem, they're also very organized. Right. The super structured. And they, I mean, they would have had to be for them to be around that long and still be so uh, secretive as they were. Right, dude. You know what it reminds me of is a uh, fucking uh, Aladdin. What are what is the Forty Thieves or whatever? Oh yeah, yeah, dude. It's like this is probably the origin of a lot of like tales like that from history. You know? Yeah, I didn't even consider that one, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I haven't seen that in so long. I don't know why that came to mind. But uh, thugs also the thuggy often uh, referenced individual members as private so it suggests that they really did have the organization um in a military fashion so they almost had their own rankings or you know there definitely was a hierarchy of mm -hmm. power um they generally never committed robbery without murder so this is where things start to get complicated. yeah the thuggy units would assume the physical appearance of their travelers like like you said they slip in with them on the road they they look like travelers that they wouldn't necessarily wear like particular disguises. They just acted like that, you know, they're traveling the roads too. So they often wore turbans. They carried them. Uh, they carried with them a certain amount of baggage, like their luggage and shit, to make it all look real. Um, sometimes they traveled on horseback. They'd have their tents, um, just a small amount of gear with them, and they would pass for a person. Um, like a regular person or a yeah. wealthy merchant. They could kind of play it up depending on who they're going after. And uh, their, attire, their attire as travelers would deceive peasants and royalty alike. So they kind of had that chameleon vibe. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's some some extra, you know, stealth level shit. Yeah, uh, you know, um, I I also like I just played D and D last night, so the whole time when I was looking <laughs> over these notes and I, I'm thinking like, man. There's so much of this would be like this is some D and D campaign type of shit. Like you would have to roll for a deception, and yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you're you're a rogue right now, right? Uh, no ranger. Oh, done. Five uh, E, yeah. absolutely. I'm a ranger. Nice. So so fucking overpowered. I'm still I'm still a rogue. I, I'm, I love the deception shit. This is totally shit I would do. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, the fucking man. The sneak attacks are worth it. Dude, I got four D sixes right now. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> We'll have to do a D&D episode. Anyway. For sure. The, <laughs> uh, the methods used by the thugs are meant to reap maximum loot without being caught. Um, so uh, they didn't accost travelers unless their own numbers were greater than those of the victims. Uh, they flattered the travelers they met, which gave them a chance to assess what, what kind of wealth they had. Uh, many of them avoided committing thuggy near the areas in which they lived. Um, so like they wouldn't go off murdering people, you know, near their home or you know near target you know their their you know associated you know places so discovering their crimes was a very difficult task dude i love how uh i love that line committed committing thuggy like i love how it's a verb you know right that's so cool (laughs) so uh what what are you gonna get up to today i'm gonna go do some thuggy you know do some thuggy um, they usually attacked in the evening. That seemed to be their favorite time. They often pretended to be either Hindu or Muslim to fool their victims. Whatever the situation required, they would use uh, religion to their advantage. Um, they used a jargon known as, and I'm not, I'm not going to pronounce this right. Ramase. Ramase. Okay, yeah. thank you. Um, and this was their way to disguise their true intention from their target. So. They had, they would communicate secretly. They had like double speak. They used their own dialects, slang, and gestures, and this allowed them to communicate between themselves. Why they like found the most uh, opportune time to like jump their victim. Mm-hmm. It's very clever, yeah. right? Super organized and structured the way they did it. Um, definitely it was, uh, you know, it wasn't just, you know, jump on, you know, each person picks a dude and jump them. Um, you know, they would, like you said, they would, uh, use the, um, the fuck's it called? They would strangle, strangle people. Yeah. And we're, we're going to get into their, uh, methods of strangulation even more, but it really was the type of thing where it's like, you know, they're speaking secretly and they know the right second where, they're all going to like get these dudes at the same time. Two dudes hold their arms, one dude strangles them. It's all like a coordinated deception. Yeah. It, it's definitely just the you said the the you know the gestures. I that was one of the things I found when I was, you know, looking stuff up was that like they use like hand signals to each other and it's like, yo, they they use gang signs. That's they fucking they yeah. had that, you know, they Sleeman said they often uh, communicated, especially on the boats, by tapping. Like they would know if uh, oh, you ta- yeah. tapped like uh, the side of the boat a certain number of times, it meant like it's go time or whatever. It's fucking thieves can't. Yeah, dude, thieves speak, right? Or is it can't? Can't. Ah, <laughs> I think it was thieves speak in one of the older editions. Er- earlier. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so uh, a common method used to uh, use was to distract their victims by engaging them in conversation, uh, like you said. So the others could, and the band could strangle them swiftly from behind. Although strangulation is one of their most recognized methods of murder, they also use blades and poison. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, in order to avoid suspicion, they avoided carrying carrying more than a few swords. But of course, they still carried some th- swords, though. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> Always got to have a few. Just kind of a couple, you know. Just Never to, know. Uh, sometimes they mutilated the corpse of their victims to avoid detection. Um, the corpses were then hidden or buried. They typically buried the corpses face down by cutting and, uh, they cut gashes into the body. Uh, so it prevented the corpse from bloating during decomposition and disrupting the sand and then attracting jackals. Um, Dude. so they would, could just go there undetected for a, a much, much longer time. Dude, that made me so happy. The first time. That. <laughs> Attracting so, jackals. <laughs> dude, it's so fucking brutal. I love it. It, uh, some, it reminds some me of... Some narc-ass jackals. Yeah. Do you, uh, I forget which... Uh, I don't think it was the Iceman. It was a different dude, a different mafia killer. And it's definitely been used by a lot. But the, where they... Uh, before they dump the body in the river, you wrap them in barbed wire. So as their body bloats the wire oh help, shit help slice them apart and keep from you know fucking that's, that's murder engineering yeah so fucking cool so back you know you're in the desert they, they can't be digging like deep graves in sand or difficult terrains so they were typically shallow graves and they didn't want the sand to look disturbed or jackals to start digging them up so they would they'd mutilate the fuck out of some of these corpses damn that's so crazy. So, uh, the river thuggy were equally as wild. Uh, they would break their victims back and throw the corpse into the river to be eaten by crocodiles. Fuck. Oh, fuck that. Dude, I love crocodiles. I think that's... I, I think they're super oh. cool. I just don't want to be part of the food chain. That's Man. like That's like in my top three of ways I don't want to die. I feel it. But I would I would be pretty happy if that's how I went out too. He's like, just because your back's broken doesn't mean that you're dead. <laughs> See, you know? I I couldn't specify. It seemed like they would break the backs like, while they were still alive. Like yeah, if but I wasn't sure. If I'm if I'm dead, whatever you know, whoever yeah. they, they I can be eaten. That's fine. But yeah. I don't want to be eaten fucking alive. That's just one of the the fucking craziest things to me to think about so metal though yeah absolutely it is i'm good with not living it though. <laughs> i feel like i'd rather be eaten alive than like burnt alive though i feel oh, like yeah, fire is... yeah fire is the number one you think so yeah fire is the number one i, I don't want to go uh drowning is the second one and being eaten alive um no yeah i, I take that back uh, burning being eaten <laughs> alive and then being and then drowning because I feel like mm. drown. I mean, like I've inhaled water before, and that shit hurts like a bitch. So Dude, they say it's like people are always like, "Oh, it's so quick," but they say it's really fucking painful. Yeah, I'm good at that, and I'm, I'm good with that. I mean, I don't need, I don't need to experience more than that. Okay, um, to just to get a little dark for a sec. If you had to choose a way to go, how you going, bro? Oh, I'm. I mean, okay, obviously, like in bed in my sleep. Um. If, uh, rule that one out. That's okay, not an yeah, option. That's you gotta, if I if I but if, if I'm counting that one out. Okay. Um 
I have thought about this before, <laughs> and I forget where I landed because okay. I was thinking of different ways. Um, hypothermia doesn't sound too bad. Uh, that's so slow, though. Yeah, but um, it's quicker than starving. And what about like something faster? Like jumping off something? Or... Well, I mean, I, that's the thing is like, if I'm not gonna like the this, like suicide is not that's not an option for me. I just, I don't, I don't have it in me to do it. Fair um, enough. So, like, if it's, if it's, you know, picking one or the other kind of things, like, say I'm in, in a situation where like I can either eat or I can give the food to someone else so that, you know, like they live and like I, because I don't, you know, I don't want to stick around to die by that. I would rather, I don't know. I don't know. You're There's, too kind. Yeah. What, what, what's your answer? Oh man. I, I used to have sketchbooks filled with this. <laughs> this is one I've thought about quite a bit. I, I liked my favorite. I had, uh, I, I ha- actually, ha- this is a weird story to tell on a podcast. So I sold drugs to this dude who was a, uh, green beret vet Mm -hmm. and uh like dude in their training they have to do shit like um simulating like torture and keeping someone who's injured alive so they'd have things where like they're given a goat and they have to raise it for a couple weeks and then they have to take a razor to its guts and Mm. then keep it alive for a certain amount of time before they kill it jesus like it was like a terrorist that they um they need more information from before they kill it and it's like yeah that's some deep psych training so this dude had like if i had the money after i died he was going to stuff my body with different animals oh had, shit dude i had a whole mapped out thing like where the things would go and it was going to be so cool but I got healthy and all my plans went to shit. <laughs> but I had all kinds of fun plans. If I had to go, it's definitely going to be OD or or gun. Quick, yeah. euphoric, you know. That's fair. You're not going to you're not going to do the uh uh glue your hands to your head and then uh, <laughs> hang yourself with razor wire. No, I'm so not going to So then it looked like you popped it off like you know, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious yeah i'm definitely not gonna do it thuggy style um no. as cool as it would be to be eaten by crocodiles that sounds pretty brutal yeah. so they typically they were very smart about how they did things because they only really kept the money or jewels they didn't want to keep things like clothing or items that could be recognized yeah so this loot would be carried back home in their caravans it would be divvied up, and I wasn't quite sure how, like, if it was an equal cuts thing. It seemed more like, since they were so organized and had a hierarchy, it seems like things were kind of done as a group, but that... Yeah, I bet there was, like, a payout system. Yeah, exactly. Of, you know, like, higher ranking, or people that took, you know, you took more initiative Bigger. and you took more risks, then you get paid more. And my, my guess is also, like... Because a lot of it involves like the network of like support, spies, information. I bet a lot of people are paid down the line yeah. too. So uh, the loot would be then sold. And because it's stolen, you know, it's going for a slightly lower price. And this helped create a very extensive black market that 
did very well. <laughs> and they're, you know, along that Silk Road, too, so... Yeah, this these are the, the robbers of Silk Road. Like, yeah. This is where it all started. So cool. Um, so, of course, they, they weren't known for their mercy. Um, they would often avoid killing children of victims, and they would instead adopt them, um, which, Ooh. you know... <laughs> You you could you could you know get into a discussion of you yeah. know is it really is that really better? Um, There's a moral quandary on that one. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's the uh, old. The um, oh, fuck, what's it called with the the train car debacle? It's like, do you move the train car to on the different track to kill less people? But you know, <laughs> but the other people, there's more talking. people on that side, but those people suck. It's you know. It's like, classic batman problem yeah (laughs) (laughs) the fucking riddler um when when (laughs) (laughs) they so they they did i can't believe we're laughing during this part (laughs) so they they did sometimes um they would spare women um women and children whenever they could um but they would murder them to eliminate a witness if they needed to or if they had like a substantial amount of loot um, you know, cause that's their, their business. Um, some of the thugs avoided murdering victims they considered, uh, you know, prescribed according to their beliefs. So like uh, a lot of Europeans even was one of the people that they wouldn't attack. Um, they would let other unscrupulous members commit the murder instead. Uh, they generally didn't have a remorse. And like I said, they considered murder a business. Uh, they said it was the destiny of those whom, They've kill. Uh, excuse me. They said that the destiny of those whom they'd kill was it was written on their foreheads. So like they that was their quote was that it was you know they had it coming the whole time. Yeah, man, that's so brutal. That that was written on their foreheads. Quote was like from a captured thuggy too. It's yeah. so brutal. Now I just wanted to clarify. Did you say like I know they so they wouldn't kill people sometimes, especially if they thought the person the person's beliefs were in line with theirs, like their, maybe their personal faith or something like that. But did you say they wouldn't kill some Europeans? Yeah. Europeans was, um, at least in one of the things that I I found. And like I said, a a lot of this information is like secondhand and other shit like that. But there was a, a thing that said they, some of them wouldn't murder Europeans. And it was, I think it was because they saw them as being not worthy. Um, they weren't good enough to, um, to give to uh Kali. So yeah. that That's was interesting. Yeah. Cuz I like this is this might be a contradiction or maybe our research not quite good enough, but I have a feeling it's a mix of just like maybe it's not completely understood and all these groups are different. Like yeah. it's hard to make total generalizations, but I did also see that um that they also really like to go after outsiders like from their country so i would imagine europeans were sometimes a prime target yeah so and and they had to have hated the fucking british yeah which we're gonna have to talk about i can see it being both though yeah um the and yeah we'll definitely if we get further like later later on we're definitely gonna talk about more of like why there's a lot of you know discrepancy over you know what's what's true and what's false now Slight side note. Did you watch the new Joker movie? Uh, yes, I did. Dude, Joaquin is so fucking good. Yeah, great movie. You know, he was in the Church of God called Children of God. Children of God called 
I don't, I, I didn't know that. He grew up in that cult as a kid, which was a Christian cult where like the kids, the parents, there were parents fucking kids and sharing these kids. And it was like hardcore sex abuse in a Christian cult. Jesus. And that was like, I think it was like the first 10 years of his life. And he, he like, he played that role so well because he has dealt with mental illness or, or just difficult Trauma shit. And, yeah, yeah. Fuck. And. He he plays those roles so well because he he's been through a lot more than a lot of people. I just think that's so cool of Re- him. And- While we're on the the topic of that movie, funny story. Um, yeah. my mom had no idea how Ooh. how fucking wild that movie was, and I knew what it was about and how you know kind of dark and fucked up it was. And she was in town visiting um, before she moved up here, and she's like, you know, hey, let's go see that movie. And I was like, all right, cool. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and like we left the theater and she was like clearly shaken. You know, she was fine, but she was like, it's like, yeah. I just, I didn't know. She's like, I was, you know, when I think of the Joker and I think of Batman, like I think of Saturday morning cartoons and stuff. And it's like, it's like, that was just so, so real. And so, you know, like cut to the core of like, a you know, making him a person that's, you know, and she was the one that got me into like, uh, you know, uh, Silence of the Lambs and shit like that because you're like, these are scary monsters. They're real people, you right. know? It's like, fuck Jason and all that shit. Like, that's, you know, right. fake shit. But like, so yeah, she was like, to, to make this character into a real person and really personify them, you know, yeah. is, is you know, the fucked, kind of fucked up part about it. But yeah, the funny story on that one, I thought. Uh, it's such a good one. They, they re- that movie is really up. Uh, I mean, obviously exaggerated, but a brilliant look at mental illness. Yeah. It's just so good. Um, Destigmatize that shit. Yeah, for real. Um, So, the destiny of those they would kill is written on their foreheads. Uh, The garrote is often depicted as a weapon of the thuggy, and this kind of takes a lot of different forms. Um, But there's also evidence... Uh, that suggests the guitar, uh, which was a dagger, was one of their personal status weapons. So it might not always have been used in their uh, murdering, but it was um, a, an important icon of status. And they sometimes would, like, when they could, they would wear them proudly on their chest. Um, early reference to thugs reported, excuse me, they committed their strangulation murders with nooses, of rope or cat gut, but later they were adapted to use a length of cloth that could be used as a sash or scarf and thus be more easily concealed. So they used lots of different forms of something like a garrote, but it was all different um, strangulation yeah. weapons. And the they're often it's often said they use sashes and scarves exclusively, but that's something they they later adapted because it's a perfect stealth weapon. They were just wearing their clothes and they, this is how they strangled people. Yeah. Um, so brutal. So, um, this piece of cloth around their neck was sometimes described as a rumal. Um, might be saying that wrong. It's a head covering or neckerchief. So this is like their thing, you know, it's that word rumal translates as yellow scarf or yellow, which, probably refers to the natural cream or khaki color rather than the bright yellow. Um, the remals were sometimes said to have a weighted medallion on one end so that when they sling the sash, it 
the weight on one end helps it wrap around the victim's neck easier. Yeah. And they, yeah. And they often had like other different modifications to their Ramal. Like, uh, some of them use different knots and different placements. So it was easy to grab. They could grab a knot on each end and it would look like a design of the scarf. Um, sometimes the, the fabric was serrated on one end. So once it's wrapped around the victim, it would grip a little tighter. There were these like small fine tuning that they would do to this, this weapon that, um, was so easily concealable. It's just so like stealth kill brutal, you know? Yeah. And and there's a couple reasons why they, that of why they could have been into the strangulation. There's the one theory that says, um, that they, preferred the strangulation because they didn't want to waste a drop of blood that they could offer and sacrifice to Kali. But the truth may have actually come from a law from the Mughal empire, uh, in the law, um, for a murder for, excuse me, for a murderer to actually be sentenced to death, they would have to shed the blood of their victim. So if they murdered, but they did not shed the blood, then they might face imprisonment or, you know, like hard labor or paying a fine. Um, but they wouldn't risk execution. And that, that wasn't always true. But for the most part, that was like, you know, their law. Um, yeah, I was really confused about that. I had to reread in in the book when they reference this, this a couple times. And I, it seems kind of, it seems so goofy and like uh, antiquated. But I guess, you know, if if you killed someone, but they didn't bleed, um, there were sometimes different punishments or laws based around that. Yeah, fucking that's that old, old God shit. Yeah, and I don't know how, like, I'm sure when they caught these thuggies, they, like, they weren't going to not persecute you because the dude didn't, ble- like, bleed. So right. it might have been a mix between offering to Kali and some old laws, um, but um, it's often said that their strangulation was all all intended to be part of like these blood rituals they didn't right. want to waste a drop and it's hard to know how much of that is really true but there's definitely something to it yeah so they also this is so cool they did they made preparations of dutrum metal detura metal detura metal which thank you that is um indian thorn apple this is so cool i love poisonous plants like, yeah Except when they poison me, but right. I love <laughs> for everyone too. else. Perfect. Not well, I'm not into them myself, <laughs> dude. I've always been immune to poison ivy, right? Yeah. Like, but your body it can change. Like mm-hmm. I, as a kid, I could touch it and shit. But like last fall, I was doing landscaping, and I was like weed whacking like half an acre, like of like six foot grass and shit, and I'm weed whack and and like all the wet matter of the plants are splattered all over me right and there's poison ivy everywhere and i'm like dude i'm not allergic like it's fine like the next day man like my whole body was so it was so bad oh jesus i was i was itching for weeks and it was fucked up i had gotten a new tattoo the day before in this like poison ivy splattered all over uh it was my arm and because the tattoo was still scabbed like it had a fresh new scab on it the poison didn't get 
to the tattoo. So I had blister bubbles all over my body except the tattoo, and mm. it didn't get, it didn't get ruined. I was like, so Thank God. I was like, this is gonna be terrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just a blown out scar. Um, so Indian thorn apple, uh, poisonous plant. Uh, that was sacred to Shiva with powerful delirium properties. So sometimes the thugs use this to induce drowsiness or stupefaction in their victims to make strangulation easier. I don't know if they, um, I had trouble finding, I knew they drank and smoked, but I don't know if they used, like, if this was something that could be euphoric and used um, um, for fun. To, I don't know. Datura can. Um, I want to say the Native Americans used uh, Datura as a um like a not like a psychoactive but just like as a mood elevator yeah yeah. um i'm sure somebody has i mean yeah um let me see um yeah for like spiritual and and you know uh it it does affect your consciousness so they would use it you know in small doses yeah and i've i've heard of the deterra first came to me when i i was reading about um doing um was like i i do a lot of research on like you know for D D stuff i was looking up more stuff about like um making poisons and stuff like that um and Ooh. before i realized that there's like uh uh you know how to play D D and there's like a whole like book of how to do shit like that um i wanted to do research on like, well, what plants can you make poisons with? You know, so I destroyed my, uh, I got added on a list somewhere because of my search history. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Dude. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, it brought, you know, that one to me. Actually, very, very pretty flower. Um, Ooh, cool. Uh, but it's also called the devil's trumpet. Or the oh, de- that's so awesome. devil's weed. Now, what about uh, ricin? Are you familiar with that one? Um, I'm familiar with it. I thought ricin was just, uh, like rat poison. Oh, that's um, arsenic. Arsenic. Yeah. Um, ricin got really popularized after Breaking Bad. Um, cause it's in that, but it, it's literally, I forget what plant it is, but it's a totally legal herb. And if you grow enough of it and extract it, it's like, it kills you from like a heart attack, like six to 48 hours later. Oh, wow. And I actually knew a dude who was he would make doses of it, and he had it all stashed up. And it's oh like, fuck! It's like, what are you up to, homie? But uh, yeah, I, the the poison stuff is so brutal. Like, yeah, I, that's I a, that's it's another so one. That's another strong way. I don't want to die. Is poison? Um, if if uh, you've ever, uh, you know, oh man, I, it's long enough. I don't want to die like Joffrey. You watch yeah, Game of Thrones? Yeah, fucking. It's that. it's been a while. Like I watched all of it, but I don't remember it as well as I'd like to. That that scene in particular was really fucked up, dude. Spe- you know how he said uh, you got put on a list for looking shit up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I'm on a couple, but uh, <laughs> I remember. Oh my god, uh, I remember once I was like 16 and I got arrested, but it was for questioning, and I didn't do anything. But the cops came and took my computer, and my parents just let them, which was not smart. But, dude, I had uh, the Satanic Bible on the desktop. So it was like the Satanic Bible. You know, for uh, the shortcut, you know. Right. Uh, but then it was meth cooking instructions, pipe bomb cooking instructions, 
and something else. And they're all just titled that on my desktop. Bro. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and they took my computer and I got it back like a week later. And uh, I don't, I don't, I really don't think they turned it on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if they if, did, I'm sure they put software, you know, yeah. malware. But I don't think they actually went through my shit because it was right there, you know? Yeah, wow. It was like the anarchist cookbook shit. You know what I mean? It's just a dumb kid. But it was all like uh, pretty scared when the there's, cops have your bomb instructions. Back when you could just download that kind of shit off the internet. I mean, you could like download fucking how to, yeah, how to 3D print a gun. Yeah. You know, shit like that. They went after that dude. That dude was a fucking asshole. That lead guy, but he was doing some really cool shit. The three D, uh, three three D print gun the, guy. Yeah, the upper and lower receiver issue, but he had uh, like Tech Nines printed and shit. Like all you'd need is like the right receiver, and you could just. And they they'd last for a while too. It's crazy. Wow. Um, so the. The some of the differences uh, we talked about the river thuggies earlier. Um, they <laughs> just to you know not not to make do anything, but let's get a sidebar and talk about thuggies for a minute. Um, the, the the river thugs usually they preyed upon people um, like the Hindu pilgrims that were traveling using the the Ganga River. Um, mm. it became mostly active during the winter times. Uh, the dialect of Ramasay differed from the one used by the compatriots on land. Uh, and they also used boats uh, taken on lease from their builders. Um, these were the guys that were, you know, feeding the crocodiles uh, with the corpses. Right. Uh, just absolutely brutal shit. You know, but they were, it's different enough, you know, it's not further enough south. You know, a, a lot of the maps we see that, especially in, uh, you know, public school, American public school, didn't really emphasize how fucking gigantic uh, India is. Right. Um, but it's it's like a whole different world north to south. Yeah. Um, you know, both the uh, uh, um, environment and the, the lifestyle and the, you know, the culture. Yeah. Um, but the fact that this, you know, the, the, <clears throat> the cult was that invasive and deep. Yeah. And and just like that, too, like we never really know how many uh, thuggy there were at a time. Like there's no hard numbers, but like. From um, the the book about the thuggy, I I'm like on the name, uh, but that line that they uh, they basically rented their boats, the river thuggy, from their builders, not not the ship builders, the thuggy ship builders. Like their network was big enough that they had their own boat rental system. Right. Like that that says something about their power and size and. Um, just the extent of their network yeah it's fucking nuts um how how like you said just how extensive they were how organized it was and that's you know i keep we keep saying it but you know like we'll we'll get into a little bit in in and later on but there's they call you know if you feel yourself feeling skeptical about any of this there's reasons why yeah but but we do know a lot of the aspects of their murder are for sure true. Like yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of things we're not sure, but there's a lot we do know too. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of debate by modern scholars about the more extreme allegations of thuggy murder. 
Um, there was talk of like blood rituals and different shit like Indiana Jones. Like one of them, and it's in a lot of the art of the thuggies. Um, they're depicted as like uh, cutting open the neck of their victim and all the blood going into a well. Like they would fill wells with blood or they'd be dancing in the blood or uh, cannibal rumors. Like shit like that yeah. is the the Indiana Jones kind of shit that is probably not true, but there's a lot of talk of it. And that's all because of who controlled the narrative. Yeah. So, uh, so we, we've talked a lot about the, the blood and death part of the thuggies. Um, so now we're going to get into uh, the more the cult part. Yeah, because they were called a death cult, and there definitely is the death. I think the cult part is where like the more confusing stuff is. Yeah, I I think the the it's it becomes more of a you know like like you you just said like it's who controls the narrative. Um, uh, there's a lot of that, but also you know all you know you. If you've listened to uh, uh, any of our previous episodes, then you're aware of how we feel about cult and religion. Yeah. Um, so the although the thugs trace their origin back to uh, Kali's fabled battle against Rock Tum- Excuse, uh, man, I knew I was gonna fuck that one up too. <laughs> you're so close. I, first of all, let me say I love I love so many of these names, Indian and like Pakistani Ooh. names. I think they're super fucking cool. They're um, beautiful. They're man. way, they're, you know, they're way cooler than Rich and Steven. Let's be way, real. Way cooler. Like, so I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm going to ask you too, but I'm like two, what is it? I'm like three quarters Irish, or we jokingly say uh, Price Hill Irish because we don't re- <laughs> really know, you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, the other quarter, I'm Lebanese, and that's like, always been the side i embrace because it shit's fucking cool yeah you know what are, what are you um super mutt um i know that i'm at least a quarter italian i could see that oh uh, let's see because my my grandfather's family came straight over from italy he was actually born here but his parents were both italian um, and so my mom would be half Italian, which means I'm a quarter Italian. Everything else, I'm partially German, English, Scottish, I'm sure Irish and shit. I'm white. <laughs> I'm white as fuck. That's what I am. I'm American and I'm white as fuck. Yeah, buddy. Um, yeah, that's funny. I'm gonna I'm gonna try this name again because it looks so fucking cool. Roktabija. I've heard that name too, and I don't think that's right. But you're doing it so much better than I. It's R A K T A B I J A. It's it looks fucking cool, and I bet it sounds cool when someone pronounces it right, and they're not a fucking white kid. Uh, yeah, I feel I feel like I should have talked. School. <laughs> I should have talked to one of uh, my brother John's buddies. Uh, Ace is Indian, and he would have he would have helped me out with a lot of this. Nice. <laughs> um. So there. Anyways, uh, although they trace their origins um, back to uh, Kali and their fabled battle against Raktajiba, their foundation is closer to tantric cults, which depart from the Veda of the religious texts. Um, so thugs consider themselves to be the children of Kali. Uh, mm-hmm. They have been like created from her sweat, 
Um, which Ugh. that's he yeah fucking gross number one number two huge red flag. <laughs> um, if if you believe that your creation is of, I mean, also this was before Darwinism and the theory of evolution and whatever. But like when, like that's already a bad start. It's like you think rough. that you you are divine differently from others because you but, were created from the sweat of the god or from from any you know directly from a god of any source, right? And even though sweat doesn't seem flattering, that's like how how reverent they were of their goddess. But it's it's so much cooler than like. Uh, Judaism or Christianity, but it's still all bullshit, and we're going to yeah. talk about that in a minute. So, uh, in general, I think Hindu religions and Hindu gods and stuff like that—they're always the the artwork is so beautiful and colorful, yeah, and the stories are just fucking buck wild. Um, yeah. I I think it's a lot more fun to read and, and research than any definitely. Christian stories. Yeah, and I definitely, like, it's probably evident in this podcast, but it's hard for me to understand a lot of it just because it's so different than a lot of the religions I'm used to reading about. But it's so, um, just so beautiful, like, especially the art, man. That, that's big for both of us, I know. But um, So we're going to talk about Khalid for a sec. She is believed to be the destroyer of evil spirits and the preserver of devotees. Um, she is close to Shiva, and her name derives from Kala, from the Sanskrit words for dark or time, which is kind of an interesting combination. Yeah. Um, but Kala also means black or female? But as a Black female. Okay. Is she, is it, she depicted... It, it, not not she like, often is depicted depicted with black skin. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it should be specified not like black African. It's, right. they, they literally mean black, as in like um, it's like a yin and yang thing. Right, dude. Some of my favorite. I, I mean, you've seen in my art every now and again, but so I love paintings of Kali. Yeah, it's so cool. Um. Uh. Here. Shiva, uh, who, oh, so Kala means black female opposed to Shiva, who is white. Uh, Kali is often portrayed standing on the inert uh, form of her consort Shiva. She is sometimes in the company of she demons. Uh, Kali's eight arms hold weapons and the severed heads of demon. I've also seen it just as regular men. Yeah. Um, like the These necklace of, of heads. Yeah. And, yeah. Dude, it's so cool. So the objects had by Kali symbolize both her creative and destructive power, which is important. Um, Kali demonstrates the ambivalence of deity, which according to Hindu tradition manifests itself in the unending cycle of life, death, creation, and destruction. And that's really plays into the belief of the thuggies, that cycle of life and death. Yeah. Um, the, I think one of the, uh, coolest things about, um, the Indian religion is like, they also have like their, 
their somewhat their uh, holy trinity. Um, you know, so if for people that don't know, um, the the Hindu they have uh, Brahma is the creator, they have Vishnu the preserver, and Shiva is the destroyer. So you have your creation, your destroyer, and the the preserver, or you know, like the balance, if you will. Um, so then there would be the since Shiva is the destroyer, this would be the alt, um, the alt of Shiva. Black hat. Yeah, so like they, you know, are depicted a lot of times as um, one or the other, um, and usually even like when Shiva's depicted, they they depict them standing on top of uh, Kali. Um, so there's, you know, a lot of cool things in that. Another fun thing that I thought was really cool about religion and uh, the excuse me, the Hindu religion was because their gods take so many different forms um, mm-hmm. in in their religion that uh it was it's a practice in uh hindu culture to um you treat guests you treat you know people with the idea that like especially when you invite them into your home or something like that you treat them as if they could be a form of god they they could be you know a a god in disguise or something like that that's really cool and it's like okay that's you know if you're gonna you know if if you've Pick the, you know, cherry pick the good parts of religions. That's a cool thing. Yeah. You know. No, I totally agree with that. I really like what you said about, I find it interesting about what you said about the Trinity is like uh, create, destroy, preserve. Yeah. That's like so close to um, Nietzsche's um, primary principles. His whole, one of his big theories in Ubermensch and that kind of shit is create destroy overcome and i i've I've read a lot of his stuff and that particular theory has influenced me a lot where you create what you want in the world destroy what you hate in the world and then continue to overcome and evolve yourself which is slightly different than the preserve but it takes a very similar meaning in in the context yeah yeah um you could even say that you know instead of preserve it's persevere yeah um, in that way mm-hmm. um so uh, according to colonial sources thugs believe that they played a positive role in saving human lives uh so without the thugs sacred sacrifices kali right. might have destroyed all of mankind um <laughs> and that's what they believed um so yeah. one of the quotes attributed to the thuggy is god is all in all for good and evil um well- which is insanity. Yeah. I I appreciate it, though, too. There, man, there's so many fucking cool and interesting things in religion that, like, I know we both appreciate. And it, as, like, metal or, like, weird and interesting, it's, like, it's so twisted and obviously flawed, too. Yeah, it's like, this, this is a really cool story, and it's a really cool idea. But, like, you don't have to believe in the shit, though. Right. Or it's like, like North Norse mythology and shit. It's like it's so brutal and fucking wild. But like, you know, you don't have to believe it's real to think it's cool and a fun idea. I don't know. Yeah. Or like so many times this episode, like I've said it's fucking cool and metal what they're doing. And it's like, I really do feel that way. But the reality is like they've killed so many fucking people for like gold. You know, like, right. You know, it's like, you're not going to go out and do it. Like, you don't encourage people to go out and do it. 
the concept is is fucking brutal and cool in that way. Right, but even even if I did like really encourage shit like that, it's like their reasons for it are so garbage or like justified by religious bullshit. Yeah. And in the name of God. Mhm. Um it's just really amazing what people can justify in the name of God because he works in such mysterious fucking ways. Mhm. I can't stand it, man. He do, I- Stephen, he do. <laughs> so, I I mean, I just don't see like you could say they're um more greed oriented opposed to like true believers like uh the christian crusade kind of shit but like it's all the same i don't i don't see what they're doing is any different than other religious garbage yeah it's, it's all bullshit in the name of god and at least the thuggy are really fucking brutal you yeah know? at least i yeah. appreciate at that. least the story is more metal yeah. the the you know the the idea i think this once again goes back to who's writing the narrative and if the you know the christian crusades it's you know it's written with i mean even in the the horror stories it's written with you know like you know like a like an honorific kind of story like it's supposed to be honorable in some way and you know like it was like it wasn't a complete massacre and it wasn't you know brutal and awful yeah in one of the research sessions for something else didn't you come across something where um they were talking about like how overjoyed they were by all the yeah they said the it red was, Muslim blood. It was a a sight to behold for you know <laughs> all you know uh, God loving citizens or God loving Christians and the to see the streets run red with blood of Muslims and Jews. It's like it's 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 a quote. Yeah, dude. Like, that's, it's like it, these groups in general they have to find any way possible to justify. The horrific shit they do. Yeah. And God is a real good one for that. You yeah. know? It's. Well, you man, can't prove I, that God doesn't exist, Stephen. Right. And and to be fair, like, a lot of the thuggy, like, they're made up of people with varying religious belief. Not all of them believe in Kali. Not all of them are Hindu. Not all of them are Muslim. They, they're all thuggy. But yeah. their beliefs may be totally independent. But it is a thing where, like, you see time and time again through groups like this or through people who murder throughout history. They're they're all like seventy five percent of the time. There's the God connection. Yeah, and it's very terrible. <laughs> and it's the the thing is like people say, like, well, they're not true believers of God. It's like they don't. It's like well, but they they in their head they are. It's like because they, you know, number one, there's so many different sects of each different religion, but also, you know, like these people believe this thing because they were either taught it or they, you know, derived it this way because that's the way they interpreted, you know, the text and that's how they took it in that direction. And it's, I feel like I keep bringing it back to, you know, religion, back to the the Trump shit. But, you know, it's the same thing with them. Like, they believed a certain fiction because they, you know, they were told this and they were like, oh, the people that, 
you know, rioting in the Capitol, they weren't real, you know, Trump supporters, you know, they were, you know, they, they don't represent us. And it's like, no, they absolutely fucking do. They represent a, the absolute fucking worst of you that decided that this is the shit of all the things that were worth being upset about enough to, to storm, you know, a government facility over the last 50 years, at least like the, the, that was the thing was that, you know, uh, the, this lie with no evidence, not a single fucking, you know, piece of, of tr- proof to say that, you know, there is a, a, a fraud in the election. It's like, there's no, if, if there had been proof and like that, this was true, honestly, if it was, if there is absolutely, you know, definitely some proof that it's like some shit went down. Yeah. For all reasons, that's a good reason, but there wasn't. Honestly, know. man, I think there's always shit going down. I, I, we like, God, I don't want this to sound in support of them at all because I fucking hate them. But um, there is a major problem with uh, the security of voting machines, and it's like, if anything, you would think that would have been the argument they made more mm-hmm. um, instead of the other shit. But um, whether it's it's fucking true. I mean, QAnon shit is definitely like a fucking cult. Yeah, that's absolutely know. a cult. I've spent so much time getting in deep into Q because it is wild. But whether it's like QAnon, religion, whatever, it's what I don't understand is like, why do people want to be a part of a group where other people do things in the name of like? Yeah, that is, and it's it, yeah, it's that, supported. Right? Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. It's like you know, we discussed with the you know the uh, Catholicism. It's like the people that you know the the core of the Catholic Church does you know committed these atrocities. It's like how it's like how can you stand by and say, oh, I support this, and and you know people can say like, well, you know that was that was so long ago. It's like no, no, no. It's the still it's the same thing though. It's the right. same group of people. They like, believe why, the same shit. Or, or it's just like, why would you want to be a part of... To me, it would be so risky to be part of a group like that because of what other people are going to do in the name of your group. Yeah. Like, I just it. don't fucking get it. Like, uh, I, I think... It's I, like it's I, like I, being an American and, and being yeah. uh, embarrassed to be an American right now. I mean, you know, all the time. But right. more particularly lately. That's why I don't think of myself as American. I don't want to yeah. be a part of a, a group. Yeah. Like, you got to be strong yeah. enough to be on your own. So people, it's all, all, people it's all life is. Say, it's like, yeah, it's it's just learning to be alone. Yeah. Strong on your own. When people would ask me, like, where I'm, you know, they think I came from Florida. And it's like, I'd always be quick to say, like, where, you know, when they say, where are you from? I'd say, oh, I'm from Cincinnati. Um, you know, I grew in there like, oh, yeah, I was like, yeah, I was, you know, I just came up here from Florida, though. I spent a couple of years down there because I don't want them to get the impression that I'm from Florida because um, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't yeah. want them to attribute, you know, my name with that um, nasty natty, baby, that nasty natty boy. I'll wear, I'll wear that on my uh, I'll wear that till I die. I'm cool with that. Five one three cradle to grave. <laughs> um, and, and like we were saying, some of the, you know, these the uh, the different thugs you know thuggies were you know even that they had different religions like most of them were hindu but you know there there were muslim one uh, thugs and they retained their monotheistic faith um 
they just substituted, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Bawani for um, a spirit subordinate of Allah. So they, uh, a Muslim thug that was caught by Suleiman said, in my heart, I take the name of God when I strangle a man, um, saying, thou God and ruler. Um, so he, he said, I, I do not pray to Banawi, um, but I worship her. Um, so, this is so confusing. Yeah. Because it is, because it is confusing. Yeah, it's very confusing. So, yeah. um. It's like a mix of different faiths. It's like, yeah, they would justify their actions by saying like, well, I don't pray to this God, but I do worship them. Like, it's like, I give them right. my praise. And it's like, and if you're in a monotheistic faith, I'm not completely sure about uh, Muslim, but I know especially in, you know, in most other monotheistic faiths, like they don't, they're not into the false idol shit. Um, right. And I'm pretty sure Muslims are, are no different that, you know, to worship a false prophet is, you know, that, that's sure. like their, yeah. that's like their whole thing with like Jews and Christians. It's like, they don't get along that way because they, they have false prophet. Um, I'm not right. sure if they guess it's not, I think they're, I guess with Jews, they just, because they don't, Jews don't recognize their prophet because uh, they don't really have one besides God. Um, so anyways, I don't, I don't think that's true. Well, I, yeah, I might not know enough about Je- that one. I thought they. I, I don't either, but like Jesus is still a prophet to the Jews. It's just he's not. They they don't consider him to be uh, uh, the the son of God or the second coming of God. I'm not sure about the son of God part, but I correct that they don't think he or he is God incarnate. Right, he was just an important prophet to right. them, but the. The main guy is still coming. Right, right, right. <laughs> Which the the big man know. up top. Yeah, dude. For whatever reason, and maybe it's just a Catholic bias because, like, I fucking hate the Catholic Church. I'm not Catholic, but I was raised Catholic, and the Catholics for always, for some reason, always like think so much less of the Jews compared to other religions. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, but I I really don't like that. Uh, that their religion, a large part of it is waiting for the the real prophet, like waiting for God, and mm-hmm. like a for whatever reason that really bothers me. I, I I appreciate the idea of that it already happened, and we have to like do shit right better than uh, we're still waiting. Yeah, I don't know. That's uh, God, this sounds really bad out of context. No, no, it's but it's, it's I'm down with that because it's like how it's like I, because of the of course the the return is always like well that's how they test your faith and it's like that's fucking stupid though it's like how how many lifetimes how many generations you know do you have to wait before you have you know you can find peace or you can find comfort in and knowing that you were, you know, you were right. You'll never fucking know until you die. It's just, it's fucking stupid. Well, yeah, we're, yeah, fuck religion. But we're definitely. Fuck religion all day. Yeah, man. Uh, we need to do an afterlife episode coming up. Oh, I'm, yes. I'm in, I'm into that. And we're at, at the end of this, too. We're going to talk about the next episode because we had some ideas that are, I'm very excited about. Yeah. So let's talk at the end. All right. Um. 
I'll pick back up. Uh, I, cor- I didn't finish my statement. Thank you very much, sir. Um, I was going to let it go because there were so many words that I couldn't pronounce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I got it. I got it. I'm going to. Okay. I got this one. Um, so, like I said, they they said, like, we don't pray to this God, uh, but I do worship them. Um, so they they agreed to uh, some of the Muslim thugs that agreed to testify for Sleeman said they assimilated uh, Bhavani with um, the Islamic prophet Muhammad's daughter, Fatima, um, who killed Raktab Jabbah and started the practice of thuggy, which is... So that's another theory, right? Yeah, that's another theory about the origin of their, you know, their story. It's like it started, you know, from the Islamic prophet's daughter, you know, that started the, the, the thuggy cult, you know. So that's just another whole... You know, can of worms, which, you know, whether whether they believe that's the thing. Here's the thing is like whether they believed that or they this is what they said to them because they, you know, were trying to justify it to themselves or like what they believed it, you know, to justify their own actions with and still keep their religion somehow. Or if this was, you know, built through the narrative of or, you know, lost or somehow changed in translation. Of, right. of how you know that origin originated yeah so and it's largely like attributed that the killing of the thuggies is like largely religious based mm-hmm. and i i personally don't think that's so much true but right. a, a lot of historians um think that the thugs had no religious motives to kill right. that that's kind of the story that was told about them or maybe that was used to justify some things but that really wasn't what was going on this is like you know they were a highway gang just needed fucking money i don't sure there were religious aspects and elements present among the thugs but that wasn't what it was about i i think um i i think it would make more sense to me to think that um, they used these, you know, uh, the religion to recruit people, you know, to bring new people in, um, into their system because it's, you know, that's religions have been doing that for years, um, you know, to, to, to brainwash people by saying like, well, you have to do this, you know, you have to do this or, you, you know, we're all going to die. Or there will be consequences, you know, like it's the thing with, you know, Christianity is like, if you don't worship God, you know, this God in this way, you know, and from this book, then you're going to spend forever. Yeah, you're going to (laughs) burn for forever in hell. You're going to be tortured and burned forever in hell. And it's like that. It's like not just it's not an immediate consequence. So you can't, you know, disprove it. They can't disprove it, but it sets that fear in their, their head and someone that's not you know, intelligent enough is going to be like, oh, you know, fuck, I guess I need to do this. Yeah, there. so much religion is control stuff. Have you gone into any of the mushroom theories of religion? Like the first churches were mushroom-based? No. Kind of stuff? Dude, there's some really cool... All right, I'm writing that down. Yeah, write that down, too. Like, when you say mushrooms, you mean, like, mushrooms, mushrooms? Yeah, trippy mushrooms. Okay. Uh, psilocybin because uh like you think of communion like the first like in 
Catholicism, Christian, you know, you're eating a piece of God, it, you're bringing together. Like, the first times that would have happened would have, like, like, you know, people get together, you're in your cave, you begin together for food and shit. But we we know for sure that psilocybin has played a massive role in history. Oh, yeah. And, like, there were, like, people would meet for that. Like, you'd get together and, ha- you know past the body of christ your your mushrooms to everybody and that remember how we were talking about um i think we mentioned in the cooking episode how like the human brain at some point it grew in size like way quicker than the normal pace and that's what we think helped evolve us from primate to human yeah yeah, and we we were talking about how like a lot of that could have been the invent of fire and protein that helped our brains grow differently and that's why we um evolved so fast but there's also a lot of theories on it could have been at the same time around fire or you know shortly after maybe they coincided but maybe it's separate maybe it was you know large doses of psychedelics that changed our brain wiring and led us our brains to evolving so much quicker there's yeah and i don't know how much i prescribe to these things but there's a there's a lot of very compelling research in um the role of mushrooms and religion i mean the early churches that's definitely supported by um the some of the uh like pagan religions and stuff like that exactly you know pagan uh um you know, medicine, as they called it, you know, using herbs and using, you know, medicinal foods that, you know, you can find and forage for uh, to right. cure diseases that a lot of, you know, Christians um, would turn down because, you know, like that's, you know, that's paganish. That's, you know, devil shit. It's like it's given to you by this, by God on this earth for you to have. Right. So it's like but mixing it up and doing things with it was. You know, the devil's work. The devil's food. <laughs> that devil's lettuce. Um, <laughs> last thing, did I'm pretty sure you know this one. The Vikings and mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was their thing. They get fucked up in, on mushrooms and raid. So, um, <clears throat> sorry, real quick. Back to uh, attributing religion. Um, so... A lot of the beliefs of the Thuggies, they weren't that different than the general population of the Indian subcontinent, but they may have attributed a lot of their success or failure to the supernatural powers. So their beliefs weren't abnormal, but they attributed to these powers. Um, So it it mimics a lot of legend and folklore from that period. Um, um, and it's it's easier to understand why the thuggy existed during this time when we understand what was happening in India, um, which is now why we unfortunately have to talk about the British. <laughs> um, Fuck the British Empire. Fuck imperialism. Fuck the British government as a whole to this day. Ditto. <laughs> um, the so the British found out about the thuggy for the first time in India um, in 1807. Um, okay. So we're going to rewind a bit and we're going to explain what was happening in India at the time and why the fuck it even matters what the British thought about the thuggies. Yeah. And part of, I, I really felt we needed to include this because I, I knew 
about this, but I, I didn't really fully understand to what extent. And it's very relevant in understanding what's going on in India at the time, why the thuggies existed, why they were allowed to exist, and just the whole setting. So we're rewinding back to the European scramble for colonies in Asia. So after the Portuguese first rounded the Cape of Good Hope on Africa's southern tip in 1488, opening seed lanes to the Far East by piracy on ancient trade lines in the Indian Ocean, the European powers strove to acquire Asian trading posts of their own. So this is when like the whole um, the whole area is starting to change because European powers are trying to come in for trade. So for centuries, the what is that? I'm sorry, I can't uh, read that. Viennese, Viennese had controlled the European branch of the Silk Road, reaping enormous profits from the sale of silk, spices, fine china, and precious metals, all the cool shit. Uh, the Viennese monopoly ended with the establishment of European incursions in the sea trade. At first, the European powers in Asia were solely interested in trade, but over time they became more interested in acquiring territory. No surprise there. You know, land is power. Yeah. Um, they needed um, a position in these areas so they could make more fucking money and control the people. Yeah. Among the nations looking for a piece of this action was Britain. Fuck. Um, just all the shit. The crazy uh, um, fighting and stealing of territories that, you know, I mean, white people in general. Yeah. You know, of, of many people, but of white people especially, you know, it's, of course, it's at the base of every story in history. Um, <laughs> Fucking evil shit. Yeah. So, um, well, to, to, excuse me, to go on from that, we're going to talk about the Battle of Plassey. Um, Britain had been trading with India since about 1600, but it didn't begin to seize large sections of land after, excuse me, until 1757 after the Battle of Plassey. Uh, the battle pitted 3,000 soldiers of the British East India Trading Company against the 50,000 strong army of the young Nawab of Bengal, Excuse me, Bengal, Siraj, and Dula, um, so. or Daula, um, and his French East India Company allies. So these are the. It's basically the British versus the French plus a bunch of allies from um, Indian and Middle Eastern nations. Was it the French? It says and his French East India Company allies. Hmm. Interesting. I don't... Was the East India Company French? Um, because the name of it. I th- no. I I was under the impression that the East India Company was British. Yes. And they had a French um, uh, um, section or sector or, or or whatnot, if you will. See, we don't know what the fuck we're talking about here. And sometimes we just do the best we can. Sometimes we do the best we can with the resources that we're given. So you know, we're we're bound to have mistakes and things be wrong. So I I just typed, <laughs> "Who owned the East India Company?" It gave me it gave me one dude's name. <laughs> oh, good. Of like thirty people. Um. So to clarify, 
Uh, it was an English and later British joint stock company founded in 1600. Okay. It was formed to trade in the Indian Ocean region, initially with the East Indies. Okay. So, I, I just got confused about the French part, that's all. Yeah, I, I saw that in there too. I assumed it was just because the French also wanted that territory. I'm um, sure, yeah. So, the fighting began, once again, let me, let me recap this part. 3,000 versus 50,000. <laughs> okay, we'll start there. Uh, fighting began in the in the morning of June 3rd, 1757. Heavy rains spoiled the cannon powder. Um, the British covered theirs so it didn't get destroyed. Um, so it led to their defeat. So they only lost about 500 troops. Britain only lost about 22. But three the three thousand British soldiers beat the uh, um, Nawab of the of Bengal and his right. army of fifty thousand strong. Um, the Britain seized the modern equivalent of about five million dollars from the Bengali treasury uh, and used Jesus. it to finance further expansion. You know, wow. as white people do. So it's fair to say, like, there were so many less British soldiers, but they won because of the cannons. Yeah. Th- that, that was all technology, basically. Yeah. So they literally, That's they brutal. just, their shit got rained on. The The cannon powder got rained on. So oh, they, my God. they both had, can- had, had the cannons, but they, you know, didn't, hadn't covered their shit before the, the day before, so they couldn't use them. Jesus. And the British only lost 22. I, I, there's gotta be more reasons that, I wonder if it's really that simple that their, their shit just got rained on, or if the British had, like, a better setup, like, there was more I money mean, involved, you know? that's also possibly true, but the, the, the difference in numbers there is the part that makes me think that boy they really didn't even get that far into it before they realized man we're fucked um, yeah and the you know that's just i i realized i made it sound like you know 500 they only lost 500 people and the britons only lost 22 and like it's still 522 people but yeah. you know that's it's it's out of you know by comparison. yeah by comparison of what it could have been which was an absolute fucking bloodbath um yeah that's a massacre. Yeah. So. So uh, this is this kind of gets back to India under the East India Company after the Battle of Plassey. So the East India Company was primarily interested in trading in the trade of cotton, silk, tea, opium. Um, but after this battle, it functioned as the military authority in growing sections of India as well. Mm-hmm. So. By the British winning this, the East India Company started to like take root and control over India trade and land as a whole. Um, so by 1770, heavy company taxation and other policies had left millions of Bengalis impoverished. While British soldiers and traders made their fortunes, the Indians starved. And between 1770 and 1773, about 10 million fucking people, one-third of the population, died of famine in Bengal. White people. Whoa. Dude, man. Oh, my God. 
I was going to bring up some other horrible tragedy, but I think this is enough. At the yeah. time, the Indians were barred from holding high office in their own land. Oh, shit. I need to read that again. At this time, Indians were barred from holding high office in their own land. That is brutal. Yeah. The British considered them inherently corrupt and untrustworthy. Yep. So they just stole their fucking country, basically. They set up shop in their country and said, you guys can't manage this. It's us now. And they tried, and they said no. And and for some perspective, this is like kind of what the world was at the time. Okay. It, it doesn't make true. it okay. Yeah. It doesn't make it okay. But it, everyone's uh, fighting for power. Yeah. But uh, India seemed very focused on trade, and that yeah. that's that is such a more beautiful concept than uh, conquer. You know. Yeah. So. In 1809, the British Empire began an effort to suppress the thuggy. And that's kind of where the start of the end, yeah. you know? So they, they came in, they fought for the, the territory and basically the keys to the government. And they're now holding territory. So now they have an interest, an, an invested interest in controlling the crime in the air right so the british generally took the view that the thuggy was a type of ritual murder practiced by the worshippers of kali uh sleeman's view of it um is uh, like an aberrant faith uh was based on the contemporary excuse me contemporary british view that hinduism was a despicable and immoral faith founded on idol worship uh, this phenomenon was traced back to the Muslim conquest of India. It suggests links to the Hindu mythology. Um, Charles Tre- uh, Trevelyan, however, he insists that it's it's like uh, um, it's like a deviant sect. So it's not Hinduism. Uh, they considered themselves to be uh, representatives of the essence of Hinduism um, that he considered evil and false. Um, fuck you, Charles. Yeah, fuck, fuck you, Charles. <laughs> Uh, Kali's worship by thugs, both Muslim and Hindus, was emphasized by the British. Uh, Sleeman blamed it on the Indian rulers. So he's saying it's like from a top-down thing, and this is why the British need to be in control over here, because they're all bandits, and they all support it, and they're all, you know, uh, these idol worshippers, which, you know, because Christians aren't idol worshippers at all. Right, and it's both... Of the major religions at fault. They're both fucking evil. Yeah. You can't control your people. It's we're we're putting things law and fucking order. Yeah. Dude, I fucking hate that phrase. So that uh, that was a, a, a that was an, <laughs> a, a, an issue on my side. Sorry about that. Oh, you good. You so the British authorities had occasionally captured and prosecuted thugs. Um, mm-hmm. However, Sleeman was the first to realize that he could get information from some of these these thuggies that he could use to track and identify other thugs in a different district. Um, his first major breakthrough was the capture of Faringa, who persuaded to give evidence. Um, Faringa's story was the basis of the successful 1839 novel Confessions of a Thug. Um, Faringa brought Sleeman a mass grave with a hunt brought him to, excuse me, a mass grave with a hundred bodies, uh, told him the circumstances of the murders and named the thugs who committed them. 
So fucking snitched, told him, sold them all up to sea. Um, and that that's true. He really did bring them to that that mass grave. Yeah. So I saw that, a lot of things about the them turning themselves in because they saw it as it's religious. When when they saw it as like a religious act, and then they said, "Well, we did do that. Yeah, absolutely. So whatever happens to us, you know." Kali will stand by us. Stand, you know, it's Kali is gonna, you know, uh, protect us, or will, you know, we will receive, you know, their, blessing. yeah, their, their blessing, or you know, whatnot. O- only God can judge me, right? Bro. Fuck out of here. Um, so I, I did look into Confessions of the Thug. I was reading that a little bit, and the accounts were very interesting. Um, and it, it would be awesome if they were true, but there's so much reason for that book to have been sensationalized. It's hard to, that, that book, sorry. Um, I think a lot of it was fake or it just really played up because yeah. Yeah, this is fucking Sleeman caught the dude and we're making money off a book now. Basically, yeah, exactly. This book was a bestseller kind of deal. It informed other people of how to perceive the thuggy. Yeah. So after initial investigation investigations confirmed what was said in Confessions of a Thug, Sleeman began an extensive campaign using profiling and intelligence. It's weird when you see uh, profiling used like way back in history yeah. right but also so kind of i was gonna say using profiling and intelligence in the same sentence <laughs> <laughs> well dude that's the thing is like profiling has got a bad rap right in 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 a sense because there there's ethical and unethical profiling yeah. and when it's, it's like, referred negatively it's, it's we're only speaking yeah. about the unethical right so, like, I mean, like, yeah, you can look at somebody and, you know, or look at a, a group of people and tell, uh, more importantly, look at one person and you can tell, like, oh, maybe I don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt right off the bat. Doesn't mean you arrest them right off the bat. Right. You know? And it doesn't even, be... oh, this is getting risky. Um, but they're, <sighs> cops are fucking assholes. Yeah. And just because you, <laughs> Just because you have an inclination or, like, you see somebody with tattoos, right? That's not enough to have an intelligent profile, right? right? But let's say you see tattoos that depict some gang shit. That still shouldn't be enough that you make a decision on how you treat that person. Right. But it does give you some sort of an idea of what that person's up to. Uh, You know, there's... It depends on what you do with the information. And that, that's been, you know. Make sure they pass the vibe check, you know. Yeah, that, but that's been such a fucking huge problem. It's, you know. But there's a difference between profiling and object yeah, racism. Yeah, so I, I made that joke knowing that. And I, oh, did, I, I realized I, afterward that mm, people are going to hear this and they're going to not understand that what I'm saying is somewhat ironic. I think we got there. Yeah. <laughs> So Sleeman was made the superintendent of the Thuggy and Deo City Department in 1835. So this is when he became the <laughs> superintendent of the Thuggy Police. Yeah, which, boy. Woo! Thug cop. The, 
Now, this dude, he sounds like he was kind of smart, but he's definitely an asshole. <laughs> but, but it, all right, objectively, like, <laughs> all these bandits murdering people is a problem. Right. Like, it, there's, I don't know. Something, something probably needed to be done about this. Yeah, well, with, I just always, on that. I always side with the criminal over the cops. Yeah. It's, it's just hard not to. Um, so, uh, a sect of the Indian government first established by the East India Company in... Oh, I'm sorry. That's what his department was. It was actually established by the East India Company. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. Daicity was a type of organized banditry. Uh, distinguished from thugs, most notably by its open practice and due to the fact that murder was not an intrinsic element of their modus operandi. Gotcha. So, Sleeman was the superintendent of the thuggy and daicity departments. Yes. Because there were, like, uh, different types of robbers. Yeah, there are multiple types of bandits. (laughs) But the thugs were, they, they stood out among all of them. Because they were deceptive, and it seems like a way bigger thing. Right. Um, so, oh, sorry. That's yeah. all you. Uh, Sleeman developed elaborate intelligent techniques that uh, it predated similar methods in Europe and the U.S. by, like, decades. Um, he Records were made uh, that the, like, the accused uh, were given prisoner numbers uh, against which, like, their names, their residence, the uh, fellow thugs, uh, criminal acts for which they were blamed were all noted. So they had all these records on them. Um, and once again, this is where there's a lot of this is, you know, needed for, you know, there's citation needed for a lot of these these notes. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, things that aren't completely solid information because it depends on who writes the narrative here. Um, but I... I do but, think it's fair to say Sleeman's techniques at the time. Yeah, like he, he ju- just establishing who uh, who a particular thuggy consorted with or whatever. Like that, there was more due diligence in the intelligence. Right. Of, yeah. Um, but I, I was mostly getting to like the where the um, they said the the records show that a lot of the thugs' names were similar. Um, they they lacked surnames since the thuggy naming convention was to use the name of their tribe and job assignments in the gangs, um, uh, which I'm not super sure on that because I, I hadn't seen that anywhere else um, besides this one source. Um, well, we we do know they assumed names a lot. Like it might have been a way of uh, like gang, gang names type shit. Oh, way yeah, to disgu- true. Disguise their names from outsiders. You know, there's, yeah. there's something to that. Um, so accurate recording was also difficult because the thugs adopted so many aliases, um, with both the Muslim and Hindu thugs often posing as members of the other religion. Um, (laughs) the thug, uh, Ghulam Hussein, though, uh, he thought Hindus, or he said that Muslims and Hindus ate together, um, or or eating together. Sorry. Yes. They avoided eating together. Um, (laughs) but there was not the case for drinking and smoking. So, like, because they're separate religions, they and you know they couldn't couldn't sit at the same fucking dinner table, um, but they would drink and smoke together, which is that's like a common thing too between different groups where like we can't we can't uh, you know break bread, but when it's time to party, it's on. Right, you know? exactly. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. 
just like just make good eat and smoke yeah <laughs> smoke while you eat there you go <laughs> Uh, I used to do that all the time. That gets gross quick. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds fucking terrible. You're like, still got smoke coming out of your lungs, and you're, like, eating a piece of bread. Ugh. Like, Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, it just tastes like ash in my mouth. <laughs> Ugh. So, uh, this campaign against the thuggies relied heavily on the captured thuggies' information, like the thuggies that became informants, which is unfortunate and not quite as og thug life as we'd like to imagine but these informants were offered protection on the condition that they told everything they knew to sleeman's dudes so according to historians um they used these historians used documents in the uk archives which which said suspects were subject to bench trials before english judges i read that bad so these thuggy were often sent to trials before an English judge. Yeah. And though the trials were lacking by later standards, um, such as like they weren't allowed legal representation. Right. Um, and I don't know. To me, that doesn't seem that crazy for the time. Right. It's definitely fucked up. But uh, like lawyers weren't always a thing either. Um, they, But the thuggies were conducted with cared protocols of the time that's kind of the point while most suspects were convicted um the court seemed generally interested in finding the truth and rejected a minority of allegations due to mistaken identity or insufficient evidence so the courts the courts really wanted these dudes it didn't matter if uh the identity might of the person might not be right or there wasn't enough evidence they're going to convict right um even by later standards, the evidence of guilt for many of the thugs was overwhelming. So they, and they really did have a lot of evidence on these dudes too. It wasn't right. Like, it was fucking, you know, they, they managed to dig grave setups so like the bodies, you know, uh, uh, didn't decompose at a certain rate, you know, so there, there's fucking piles of shit. The mass graves yeah. and shit were, were crazy. Yeah. Um, so they had a lot of evidence, but even if they didn't have it, they're convicted. Yeah. Um, so, and because they used boats to dispose of their victims, the, the river thugs were able to evade the British authorities for some time after the compatriots on land were suppressed. Hmm. Um, they were ultimately, uh, they were betrayed uh, by some of their own teammates. Um, so they were, they weren't hunted, excuse me, they weren't hunted down until uh, 1836. Um, so, you know, several decades went by before they, you know, were, were even discovered and chased after um on that excuse me <clears throat> by that it's all it's always somebody that snitches at least they didn't have to worry about fucking wiretaps back then but yeah. there's always <laughs> one dude that snitches man like on they, they get caught and they're like well we'll we'll protect you we'll take care of you it's like we you know get the motherfuckers out there on the water they're they're throwing <laughs> the bodies out to crocodiles and shit those fuckers are crazy yeah they're way crazier than me um so during Sleeman's initial operations, more than 1,400 thugs were imprisoned for life or hung. I would like to know how many were hung. I'm guessing it was more than weren't. But it's so crazy. Like, in his book, he talks about how they catch at least, they catch and probably kill at least 1,400, but, like, they never paid for their crimes. Yeah. So that's 
you know, whatever. Um, the British controlled informers in centralized management of intelligence operations, and they opened tight security of the secrecy of the thuggy organization. So they they had such counterintelligence, they really got into the thuggies and decimated them. So they, I don't, like you said, it just it kills me that in the especially in the same book that the accounts varied so crazy kind of back and forth um especially on the you know how they the the justice that was reaped uh, right. i'm doing air quotes real big um <laughs> it, i just think that's pretty wild yeah um, there's no hard numbers it's like they had such good intelligence but they they don't even know how to like report the statistics of you know how successful they were catching these dudes or like how many they killed or like how big of a problem this really was it's it it was more like you know they were taking control of india these dudes were the problem and we're gonna kill them all you know yeah that, that's how i think it um, was at least so we we're gonna have a a, a guest in in the studio today <laughs> um our uh you know we're gonna get his opinion on it um mark twain um cheers mate <laughs> Hello, fly me. Oh, I thought that was supposed to be an Australian accent at first because you said mate. I was like, I Mark Twain wasn't Australian, I don't think. I don't think that's right, bud. You know, I don't know. But one of my favorite quotes was uh, Mark Twain saying, if I could die anywhere during the apocalypse, it would be Cincinnati because everything happens there 10 years late. Damn right. But fuck Mark Twain. Fuck Mark Twain, though. <laughs> and this is why. So Mark Twain wrote about uh, an 1839 government report by William Henry Sleeman. Then uh, this, this is his quote. There's one very striking thing which I wish to call attention to. You have surmised from the listed callings followed by the victims of the thugs that nobody could travel the Indian roads unprotected and live to get through. That the thugs respected no quality, no vocation, no religion, nobody. That they killed every unarmed man that came in their way. That is wholly true. Mark Twain continued to say, If there ever was an un unpromising task, Excuse me. If there ever was an unpromising task, If there ever was a hopeless task in the world, Surely it was offered here, The task of conquering the thuggy. But that little handful of English officials in India set their sturdy and confident grip upon it and ripped it out. Root and branch. So yeah, fuck Mark Twain. Fuck Mark Twain. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's... Old dandy-ass motherfucker. Dandy. Man, how can you... I don't know. I just wouldn't want to write that way about exterminating any group of people, including criminals. Yeah, I'm, right. I get it. The The thing is... I guess I look at it from a different perspective entirely than than people of this time in general would. And the you know it's that the religious bullshit is fucking crazy, and people need to put a control on that. But also, you know, there's there's so many, you know, the 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 issues that led up to um, all these arrests and the, you know, with the, you know, fighting over territories and shit like that. And like, there's so many politics involved, even yeah. with 
you know, these arrests and stuff, and it's just not, I don't know, it just, it's, it just seems fucky to me. Yeah, I, I, I get kind of what you're saying. Like, if, if Mark Twain was speaking about the Nazis right now, like, the Nazis are killing people, we need to uproot them, it would be like, yeah, fuck yeah, Mark Twain. It's like, uh, uh there's something romantic about the thuggies, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's a bias on our part for sure. Well, because but, uh, I guess I think the difference was the the thuggies weren't out for genocide. They didn't have an agenda in that route. It was a more or less you know somewhat of a survival uh, thing. Sure, there was greed involved as well, but it's a way of life. Right. It's easier to understand the thuggies. Yeah, for me at least. I don't know. There's it wasn't it wasn't about maintaining you know gaining and maintaining more control it was about gaining right. and maintaining um supplies and things to you know to you know get through life yeah and i'm i'm sure there were ambitions for control and stuff yeah. but it's but it's different because it's not um uh it's probably a bad parallel but compared to the nazis you know there's a difference it's not a hate group where they're they're hating and killing people right it's a survival group this is an adaptation to survive and thrive and and at 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 the very worst then you know they're religious zealots and then you know then they are yeah fuck them then i'm down I'm, i'm down with that with that you know, train of thought that if they are, that you know, if the whole thing was like a crazy religious, like they're murdering people for God and they actually were then. Right. That's, and there's probably was a mix too. I bet it was both, but, but I'm still down the same fuck Mark Twain though. Yeah. Just cause fuck Mark Twain. <laughs> uh, so, um, there we had Mark Twain's quote. Now we're going to quote a British captain uh, George Valence, as he reflects on the thuggy, he said, The day that sees this far spread evil completely eradicated from India and known only in name will greatly tend to the immortal to immortalize British rule in the East. So and I looked into his background information mm-hmm. and it's funny because he was fucking from Ireland and he later became British and and he's like, yeah, fuck the thuggies. We need to make British immortal. You know what I mean? Like, it's all fucking government power shit. Yeah, fuck. Well, you know, the British made him a captain, so. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> fucking crazy shit. He looks so fancy in his goofy clothes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it depends on the time, too. Uh, but he could have been, uh, I guess if it was mid-1800s, then... Did they wear the the frilly neck shit? The frilly yeah yeah whatever fucking I'm pretty sure bullshit. he was wigged wigged up wigged too. Up. Um, wigged up. So by the late uh, excuse me by the eighteen seventies, uh, thug cult was essentially extinct. Extinct. Um, but the history of the thuggy led to the Criminal Tribes Act of eighteen seventy one. Although the Criminal Tribes Act was repealed at Indian independence, uh, the tribes considered criminal still exist in india the thuggy in uh how did you pronounce this word deosity deosity yeah the thuggy and deosity department remained in existence until 1904 when it was replaced by the criminal central criminal intelligence department 
Sid. Sid. That Sid boy. <laughs> so I'd like to think the thuggy may still exist, um, even if it's like very small secret numbers. But the reality is they're most likely exterminated by the British. But their impact like continues on because they led to these um, like criminal tribe laws and shit mm-hmm. that are still active today. Or their their predecessors are still active today. But um, th- this is where <laughs> some of it gets kind of kind of weird. This is where the grain of salt part comes in, and I think we understand why at this time. Um, but we'll get into it a little bit more. Um, um, do you want to do you want to uh, uh, begin this this section here? Yeah, sure. Um, Contemporary scholars have become increasingly skeptical of the thuggy concept and have even questioned the existence of such phenomenon. Now, that that seems ridiculous. Right. Like, it it existed for sure. We don't know to what extent. The the colonial British representation of the thuggy is held by some critics to be full full of inconsistencies and exaggerations. However, the more radical critics in this camp have themselves been criticized criticized for focusing overly on British perceptions of the thuggy rather than on historical accuracy of primary source documents. Because there's a lot of fucking documents, like by Sleeman even. I mean, a lot of people wrote about what was happening in India, and there was a lot of documentation of the thuggy's existence before the British were involved. Numerous histor- historians have described Thuggy as basically an invention of the British British colonial regime, and I don't think that's true. I think th- I think perceptions were altered, but it wasn't invented. What you're saying is you want to believe. I want to believe. <laughs> the, the, the little UFO on it, and put that on a T-shirt. Um. So. Um, Oh, excuse me. Um, this name is absolutely buck wild. <laughs> dude, dude, how many words is that? Uh, there's a lot of bullshit going on in here. You want me to try? Just um, yeah, I want you to try that one. This is uh, it's it's French. <laughs> Maritime van Vaken- <laughs> Vokeners of a coal. Pratique des Hunts Estudes, right? All of that was wrong and bad. <laughs> I'll tell but you now. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now. You didn't nail it, bud. But I, I, I had it. There's no way I'm going to do better. <laughs> so this French asshole. Uh, actually, yeah. I, I don't know if he's an asshole yet. Because um, I, I actually didn't. You, you did this research part. I haven't read this one yet. Um, he writes that the evidence for a thug cult in the 19th century was the product of colonial imagining arising from the British fear of the little-known interior of India, as well as limited understanding of the religious and social practices of its inhabitants. Uh, for as much is known about the thuggies, as much is unknown. Uh, so it's hard to say to what extent the narrative has been altered for political reasons by the British Empire. One example of this is the alleged thug kings. Um, oh, dude! I'm so excited he, for these dudes. So this is just this is just a sidebar here because I, I at least I only saw um, the one the one yeah I just one homeboy he was the, here. 
He was the big one. Yeah. Um, the big, the big baddie. Yeah, and these are like, um, like the examples of the legend of of like thuggy folklore. So they had these kings. Um, there weren't many of them, but over the years there definitely were some. But there was this dude named Thug Barham, also known as Burham Jameer and the King of Thugs. He was a leader of the Thuggy cult active in north-central India during the late 18th and early 19th century and is often cited as one of the world's most prolific serial killers. Now, this is... I had heard of him before I knew about the Thuggy. Okay. Right? Yeah. So, like, he he has... Um, his legend has made it through history. Like, they, they really do believe... They don't know the exact numbers, but they know this dude... Like, his name survived because he killed a lot of fucking people. They think he may have been involved in up to 931 murders. With practice skill, he could cast this sash so that it caused the medallion on its end to land on the Adam's apple of his victims, adding to the pressure to the throat of when he strangled them. So this dude, like, mastered his sash and was just strangling people. That's like so hundreds. fucking wild. Dude, that's some thug king he shit. He killed more real. people than the amount of people that died in that war over territory. Yeah, with his bare hands. Yeah. Jesus that's fuck. Wild. Yeah. Um, so we'll never know the extent of the murderous activities of the thugs. Um, estimated death by the thuggies were as high as 40,000 a year. Um, Bro, that's that, yeah, that's so that's so high, fucking many. Um, but I see it as fully possible. Yeah, um, many people believe that over two million people have died at the hands of thugs. Uh, the accomplishment and secrecy of such large numbers of deaths uh, caused by the thuggies was a result of their well-organized and highly secret fraternity. Um, so greatly a- aiding Thuggy's success was the lack of any central authority powerful enough to put an end to their ritual murder. Right. Man. This is a wild fucking story. So, you know, while the majority of the Thuggy might be gone today, their name lives on. And it, I think it's so interesting to know that story in the context of what we call thug or thugs today, you know? Yeah. It's all from the thuggy. And there's a lot of power and, uh, I don't know. Um, so, so this is, this is where Steven's going to edit in the song. Uh, thugs get lonely too. With <laughs> Tupac and tech nine. Now I like tech. I don't like a lot of what he's doing, but I, I don't like Tupac. I'm going to end Thug Life episode with saying I don't like Tupac. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, fucking all day B.I.G. Really? Yeah, I, 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 I fuck with Biggie. I don't like him either. I I would have liked him at the time. Okay, okay. But. So so let's, let's end this uh, extremely uh, <laughs> dramatic episode about um, these, these people. And I need to know... Um, Tupac or Biggie? I go Tupac over Biggie, but okay, because I like like three songs by Tupac, but neither of them do it for me. Oh man. come on, come on, man! Juicy, 
Uh, yeah, yeah. The mm-hmm. fucking Ten Crack Commandments? I just think they're overhyped. I don't know. It's just overhyped. They're definitely they, overplayed. Yeah, I'm too young. Uh, I There's some awesome remixes of both of them, though. Yeah. It sounds like a really lame way. But what's cool is, like, all these pictures, and we'll have them on the page, too. All the pictures of the thuggy, like, they're tatted out, like... Thug life tattoos directly came from these dudes. They have thuggy tattooed on their face, their stomach. Like, you know, a lot of times they kept the tattoos hidden, but a lot of them are visible. And it's shit like thug life, you know? Like, this is really where it came from. And it's just so brutal. Right. Like, I don't I don't something- imagine a lot of people, like, a lot of modern thugs knew that this is where their, you know, name came from or you know, influence their, their and our culture, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I had no idea about this until you had even told me uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was like, okay, well, if we're fucking doing that, we're absolutely doing that. Had to, these dudes, it's just so brutal and just wild. So that about, that about wraps us up yeah, for, uh, I, th- the cold of I the think th- that's going to do it for us today. We, uh, let's, uh, let's do a quick recap. So we talked about, uh, <laughs> We talked about Tupac and Biggie. We talked about, uh, you know, ritualistic murder and the British Empire. Uh, we talked about ba da ba ba ba. I'm loving it. Um, blood ritual. Blood rituals. Um, the ba 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 blood ritual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I'm fucking loving it. <laughs> oh fuck. Um, do you have any dishonorable mentions you like to talk about today? Yeah. Fuck Sleeman, fuck Mark Twain, and fuck the British Empire. Uh, I want to keep it rolling from uh, from you know my 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 classic fuck Andy Warhol. Um, yeah, man. And and fuck Bobby Flay. Still fuck Bobby Flay. And uh, fuck Steve Harvey. Oh, fuck Steve Harvey. Um, <laughs> is there anybody else good? Uh, that's the list is going to keep growing. It's going to be, dude. It's going to be fun cool. to see where it goes. <laughs> I just have a, um, it, it, and I can picture if we continue on this path, and let's say we <laughs> were, you know, 200, 300 episodes in, there's going to be a 15 minute long segment at the end where it's just <laughs> fuck this person, fuck that person, fuck this concept, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Embrace the anger. Let your hatred run through you. <laughs> uh, so. Before we get out of here, let's talk about what are we what are we doing next, man? Yeah, uh, dude. Uh, so we're definitely in the future. Gonna have to work in an afterlife and a mushroom religion episode separate. Um, what do you think of that? Carts of darkness. Um, for because we got entertainment next. Yeah, um, I'm down with doing that. I was actually I was already planning on watching that this weekend anyway. So, did you see any clips of it? Uh, I have not. You you dude. you gave me the uh, the kind of elevator pitch on it, and I was sold. Dude, I I haven't watched all of it yet, but this shit is wild, guys. Like, it's about this homeless community in Canada that like their recycling is worth more. People can live off of it in theory. So it's these dudes collecting glass. They're homeless dudes collecting glass bottles, and they're riding their shopping carts around this town. But the hills are super steep. So they're like skateboarding on these carts at speeds of like literally, like literally 40 to 60 miles an hour down these hills through traffic. They can't stop. 
and it's about their injuries and their uh, like wrecks with cars and their bottles flying everywhere, and it's about how these dudes survive, and it it seems like an absolutely brilliant documentary and very fun. So yeah, yep, that's gonna be yeah. uh, that's gonna be my Saturday. Yeah, we got cool stuff coming up, big drops. Get these episodes out. Got uh, um, definitely remember to go check out our Instagram page. Uh, you can find yeah. us at Trash Cats Trash Cast on Instagram. Uh, I also want to do shout out to your brother John. Thank you, John. Uh, that's yeah. approaching human, uh, approaching dash human uh, on on SoundCloud. Uh, so you yeah. can support and his music. Check out my uh, my homie Chaotic Steel on Instagram. You'll find him. Just look up Chaotic Steel. We'll share some links. Check out some good music. Um, I got my art on Instagram. Uh, just look up Skyzix, S-K-Y-Z-I-C-X. And uh, I think that's it, right? Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, thanks again for listening. And always remember... Um, Here we go. Kill in the name <laughs> of Kali and do the blood ritual sacrifice. Ba 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 I'm loving it. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. See you guys. Ha, 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 ha.